Uh, yeah, so I'm Brandon Jacobs. I am the lead church planter with the Nashville Project. Uh, I am working with an organization called Stadia and some churches and some people to start a new church in Nashville um, to reach people who aren't being reached, to build community for people who don't have that. Um, and we're in the early phases of that right now. Uh, we're not going to be meeting until next year. So I had lunch with, uh, with Adam and I told him, I was like, hey man, I'm available anytime you want if you need a backup. And he actually called me and invited me to come speak. So I was super excited to get that call. But uh, I'm a Nashville native, so a bit of a kind of a unicorn at this point, right? Do we have, we have some Nashville natives here, right? Okay, cool. Do we have some people from out, some elsewhere, other places too? Cool, yeah. I'm also a Milligan College grad. I understand there are some Milligan people here. Awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, I've been involved in ministry for about 14 years now, and uh, my wife, Sarah, has been my power partner. She's, she's amazing. Um, and we just had a good experience, and God has kind of led us back to Nashville, where we're from, to start this new church. Um, and it's, it's been great. We've been having great experiences so far that we've been here, and I'm glad to be here with you guys today. Uh, however, when I was preparing the sermon uh, for this week, I was thinking about not the happy experiences we've been having, but probably the most terrifying experience of my entire life. And this was not a ministry experience. It was outside of ministry. It was actually on a vacation. See, a few years ago, my wife Sarah and I were at her grandparents' house, and we're just hanging out and visiting. And in conversation, it came up that they had four condos in Cancun. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Because I'd never did like, I never traveled like that growing up. And I was like, that's so cool to me. And uh, they were like, yeah, do you want to come stay for free one week? And we were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm telling my friend Mike and, uh, about this. I was like, we get to stay at this like, really nice condo in Cancun for free. How cool is that? And he worked for Delta at the time. And he goes, well, I can get you like plane tickets there for practically free. Do you want me to do that? And I was like, uh, yeah. So we get on this plane, and it was one of the first direct flights from Nashville to Cancun. And so there was practically nobody on the entire plane. Was, Sarah and I are there. There's a few other people. One of the flight attendants comes back and says, hey, there's nobody in first class. Do you guys want to come sit up in first class for free? And we're like, uh, yes, please. So, so next thing you know, Sarah and I are looking at each other. We're like flying first class to Cancun, Mexico. And we're like, how did this happen? And it was amazing. It was amazing. We, since we didn't have to pay for practically anything, we just saved up as much as we could so we can do as much as we could down there. And we did everything there was to do. Oh my goodness. Just go with me there because I know we're getting into vacation season now. So I want to warm you up for it and get ready for it. This, man, we went down there. We went to that big stepped pyramid, Chichen Itza. You seen that? I took a picture of my wife that looked like a postcard. It was incredible. We went to this one place where they had dolphins doing backflips. Like, I actually saw that with my own eyes. We did this thing where you put on, like, the, like a space helmet type deal, and you climb down to the bottom of the ocean, and you walk across the ocean floor. Things like that, right? This was incredible. All week, we're just like, ah, this is so cool. How are we able to do this? And the very last day, the end of it, we went right off the coast of Cancun to this island called Isla Mujeres. It's just, like, five miles long. I think, like, only one mile across this little island. We went out there. We got... Um, we got, uh, oh, what do you call them? The mopeds. And Sarah's like riding on the back, like we're going, riding on these mopeds. Like, like picture this, like just, you can smell the salt, right? From the ocean, like right here. Wind in our hair. I mean, it was like a music video. We're like, what a perfect ending 
to a perfect week. We heard from one of the locals, there's this cove at Isla Mujeres that a few years ago, a hurricane had come through and sunk the docks. And it was about like 20, 30 feet down, and all of this beautiful wildlife had grown up around it. And, it's just, and, and the tourists don't know about it. You should go there. And we're like, yes, we're going to go there. So we get in the water with our snorkeling gear. And it's one of those deals where if you've ever been snorkeling, you know, like you're just laying on the surface of the water, facing straight down. Utter beauty, 20 feet below me, just the, the most beautiful God's creation you could imagine, right? I mean, you're just floating the sun on your back, holding Sarah's hand. I mean, it, it's almost it's so relaxing you could fall asleep, right? And in this, this moment of just like serenity, I look up and just below the surface of the water, probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 yards away from us, was a barracuda just hovering underneath the surface of the water, not, look, not moving or anything, but looking directly at me with this like underbite that they have. And it has this mean expression on its face. And I look up and it's just looking at me like this. And it's not moving or anything. It's almost like this telepathic thing passed between us. It was like this barracuda was like, are we going to fight? Are we going to do this? And I was like, no, 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 I can't do this. Like, I, I don't think I had it in me to fight a barracuda because as awesome as my wife is, she's not going to fight wildlife, right? It's, that's going to fall to me. And I just didn't wake up that morning thinking like, all right, today's the day. It's the big fight. I'm going to fight a barracuda. This is it. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have it in me. So I'm sitting there and I didn't want to alert her because she, she is such a courageous woman, but not when it comes to like adventurous stuff like that. Right. And so I didn't want to alarm her. I didn't want to like ruin the end of the vacation. So just gently, I nudged her away from the barracuda and back towards the shore. And we just, you know, gently swim back to, to shore. We got out. I'm like out of breath at this point. She, she, she looks at me. She goes, what's wrong? Why why'd you want to get out? This is so great. And I was like, I don't want to upset you. Everything is okay. But there was a barracuda right there in the water with us. And she looks at me and she goes, well, okay, so? And I was, and I was like, what? And she goes, well, do you want to get back in and swim? And so, of course, I was like, yes, yeah, fine, there's nothing wrong, I'm not afraid of a fish, but I'm sitting here thinking, why is my wife not afraid of this, why is she not freaking out right now, like, and I'm really questioning everything, I was like, I'm the, like, brave one who (laughs) stands up to the monsters of the depths, you know, and I'm scared, and she's like, it's no big deal, or so I'm like, am I, what is wrong with me, right, like, it just threw our whole relationship dynamics into disarray in that moment, but of course, I got back in that water, because I was not going to let her show me up, so we get back in the water, we go back out there, same thing, and I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, my heart's racing, and I look up, and I swear, it was like five minutes later, that barracuda appeared again. I'm like, where did this thing come from? It's nothing but open ocean. It's not like you could have, like, how did it sneak up on me? I'm like, go away, go find Nemo or something. You know, like, like get, get, get away from me. And I just, I tried to like stay in there, but I was just panicking. I was like, okay, we got to get out of here. This is not good. So again, I nudged her away and we got out of the water and I said, look, there's a barracuda in the water. I, I can't do this. And I never got closure on that situation. Like, it was just this open thing, like, that doesn't make sense. Like, who is this person who is not afraid of this ghastly creature? Like, I never got closure to that until a few years later. We're hanging out at our, at our place. We had some people over. I was telling that story to people, right? And, and if you knew my wife, they were like, yeah, wow, what in the world? And at the end of the story, she goes, Brandon, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean... If it's just one by itself, I mean, if there was a bunch of them, then yeah, it could be harmful. It's just one little one by itself. It can't hurt you. 
And in that moment, I realized she was unclear on what exactly a barracuda is. She was thinking of something else. And I realized, I was like, Sarah, you're thinking of a piranha. That's what you're, show them the picture of the piranha. We, uh, look at this. Look at that. It's like an angry goldfish. You know, like, why would I be afraid of this? Let's look at it. And so I Googled real fast. I was like, no, 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 that's not what we were swimming with. And I Googled, I pulled up this picture and I showed her this picture. Look at that. I was like, that's a barracuda. You see like the, the color drained from her face. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, you know, that's right. You know, I, I understood like what was going on. See, see, the reality was this whole time for, for years after this trip, she thought I was talking about something small, but I was talking about something big. And see, and I think we do this in a lot of different areas of our lives. I think when we look at our lives, when we look at our, our focus, when we look at our perspectives, like we're thinking that our lives are something small. We're thinking that our path is something small, the things we're called to do, the things that we do. We're thinking so often on such a small scale. We get so caught up with what is right in front of us that we lose sight of the big picture. We get so caught up going from one task to another, from one day to another, from one chore to another, and we're focused on, on such a small scale and we lose sight of what really matters. I think we do this in church too, Right? Like a guy gets up here, talks about these big things, talks about these big ideas, and all we hear is something small. I mean, we're talking about some, the, the biggest thing in the universe, right? When we gather together as a church, and when we're reading the Word of God, and we're letting God speak to us, and the things that the Word of God is saying, the things that the Word of God is teaching us, I mean, let's just take a step back. Because sometimes I think we get used to it, especially if you've been at church for a long time, right? Like this stuff that we talk about just becomes normal to us. And we've got to understand, this stuff is not normal. This is outrageous. I love the song said, this is overwhelming. I mean, take a step back and think about what we're talking about here. An infinite being that we couldn't even begin to fathom. We couldn't even begin to understand the nature of God, that his being, his essence is so beyond what we could even comprehend with our brains. This cosmic creator created the entire universe, wrote the laws of physics, spun the galaxies into being, then designed our DNA. We're talking about how we were created on purpose by a God who knows us and loves us and has a purpose for us. What? Like each individual like knows every hair on our head? That's what we're talking about here? But we have all chosen to rebel. We've all chosen to disobey. We've all chosen to disconnect ourselves from this loving God who knows us and created us on purpose. And so we are separated from the source of life. We are cut off by our own actions. But God loves us so intensely and so incredibly that he has been working throughout all of human history to restore us to him, to reconnect us to him, to redeem us, until finally he came as one of us. Jesus came to reveal himself to us, to teach us, to show us, and then ultimately died for us, saying that you can't save yourself. I'll do it all for you died for us on the cross, that when he died, our sins died with him. And he offers us this free gift of complete forgiveness. What? This is insane. This is incredible. This is beyond imagining. 
We can be reconnected with our creator. We can be born again into new life that culminates into eternal life after death. Are you kidding me? This is the biggest thing in the universe. One of Jesus' best friends, a guy named John. We know him as the Apostle John. Back then, he was just a guy named John. He's one of Jesus' closest friends, and he wrote a biography about Jesus, of all that he saw and he experienced and he learned. And he starts off his biography this way. He says this in John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decisions or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, is that true? I mean, is that real? I mean, are you one of those people that actually believes that? Like, this is real. It's not just some story that I like. It's not just some thing that people say that I'm supposed to agree with. No, I actually believe this is real. This is factual, just like gravity, just like the air I'm breathing. This is factual. Are you kidding me? Because if this is true, it is the biggest thing in the universe. How could we treat this as something small? How could we lose sight of, of how gargantuan this is? I mean, if this is real, it's the biggest thing in the universe. Are you one of those people that has been baptized? You, you said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and my Lord and Savior. Like you, you said that sort of thing? You said that in front of other people? And you were baptized? Maybe you don't. Let's be honest here. Not everyone believes that. And maybe you're here today, you don't believe that, right? You're just, no, I don't. I think the Bible says good things. I like going to church or, you know, my grandma brought me today. I don't know, like whatever reason, you know, maybe you don't. Let's, let's be honest about that. Man, that would challenge you. Consider that there's more going on here than just what we can see and experience and measure. Consider there's more at work here. That maybe when, when this, this guy who was the most influential person in human history, right? More, more songs have been sung about him. More poetry has been written. More words have been written. More influence than anyone in human history. Just based on this, this impoverished nobody, essentially, is it possible that he's not nobody? Is it possible that there's something else going on here? And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I actually believe that. Like, can we be honest with ourselves for a moment? Because there are a lot of us. Maybe I go to church. I know I'm supposed to believe this. I nod my head along, you know, because I think it's good, you know, thumbs up. But I, if I really were to think about it, I don't know if I actually believe that's factual. 
And I want to challenge you to pursue that truth. Pursue that question. Who is Jesus? And don't get sidetracked on these other things, right? Because we do that a lot with the Bible. It's like, well, do I agree with this teaching in the Bible? No, no, no. That doesn't matter compared to who is Jesus. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, then this other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he said. If he is Lord, if he is God, then what he said is right, whether you agree with it or not. So the real question is, do I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And if the answer is, I don't know, then you have got to pursue the answer to that question. And I think if we pursue that honestly, man, God reveals that truth to us. But are you one of the people who believes this? Yeah, I believe that. Absolutely, I believe that is true. I count myself among you. So what in the world do we do with that? What, in the, what does that mean? What do we do with that, right? Like, how does that show up in my life? I go to work, I have a family, I go and do these things. Like, the creator of the universe, oh my, oh my goodness, like, he knows me, he loves me, he has a plan for me, I'm created on purpose, all these things. What in the world do we do with this? One of Jesus' followers, Peter, I believe you guys are familiar with this guy, right? You've been reading some of his writings recently, where Peter was, was one of these guys where for, for decades he was living out. He was, he's like, I believe this. I experienced this. I saw this. I know who Jesus is. He is Lord and Savior. And for decades he lived out that truth in his life. And towards the end of his life, he was writing, and he was writing to other Christians and explaining, like, here's what this looks like. This is what we've been studying in 1 Peter, right? We pick it up in chapter 2, 1 Peter, in verse 1, it says, Therefore... So because of what came, came before, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, Peter is describing here what we have seen repeated countlessly in the New Testament. That when you encounter Jesus, when you accept the reality of who Jesus is, it changes you. See, he's explaining here that the truth of this, the weight of this, the enormity of this completely transforms your life. It changes the way you think, and it changes the things that you value, and it changes the things that you pursue, and it changes the way that you treat others and view others. It changes the way you respond to people. It changes the way you act. And, and over time, it changes your character and your core from the very inside out. This is a complete transformation in response response to the gospel. Peter's saying, this is the biggest thing in the universe. This is mind-blowing. This is life-changing. This is paradigm-shifting. This is world-shaking. This literally changed the entire planet. And they didn't go around like other religions with conquering armies. And they didn't go around with a culture and a society and a government behind them. These were nobodies, and all they had was a message of who Jesus is, and it changed the world like no other message has in human history. It's because when we know the truth of this, it changes us. See, when you encounter Jesus, when you understand God's love for you, when you understand his grace, you can't be the same after that. 
You can't, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not just some kind of hobby. We do that sometimes in, at church, right? Like this is like going to church and believing in Jesus. It's kind of like a hobby that we add to the rest of our lives. Sometimes, like if we're honest, we kind of treat it that way, right? Like we've kind of looked, it's like, well, I have my life and I have who I am and I have my path and all that stuff. And it's all good stuff. That's fantastic. And now I have another good thing to add to it as if like we just took up playing tennis or something, right? Hey, tennis is great, health benefits, all that stuff. And we just, we treat like Jesus said that same thing. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. This will change you. You will strip off all of these other things and crave pure spiritual milk. This is central. This is the biggest thing. This is important. This is our core. And I love how he uses, it starts out with this, this word, therefore. See, I'm a big picture thinker, and I can't help but read this passage in the context of Peter's life, in the context of the rest of the New Testament. I love how he's been, he's been talking about it in, in chapter one. He's talking about the hope that we have in eternity. And he's talking about, you know, our lives are just like, like vapors and it's there and it's gone. It's so temporary, but the eternity we have is so vast and so big, you know, and he's, he's talking about all of this stuff. Um, and, and then he gets to this part. Therefore, see that word is important because what comes after this is because of what came before this. It's because of the grace that God gives us, because of the salvation we have through Jesus, because of the hope and the promise of eternal life that we have, because of those things, which none of us have earned, which none of us can do anything to deserve, but we are given that by God and we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because of that, therefore, this happens is a response to being born again. It's a response to our faith in Jesus. See, if the stuff before this didn't happen, if that faith in Jesus didn't happen first, then the stuff after the therefore wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't work. Like this behavior change, this life change that we try to manufacture on our own. Man, if we don't really put our trust and our faith in who Jesus is, then this other stuff afterwards, it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. We always want to flip that around though, right? We want to switch the others. Like the life change, the behavior change should come first, and then you're allowed to start believing in Jesus or come to church or whatever it is, right? But it doesn't make sense that way because Jesus says things that we just disagree with in our culture. You ever read something in the Bible that you're just like, mm, that's not culturally acceptable? And the only reason I obey is because I trust in Jesus. I mean, if, he, if he's just some guy, right? A lot of people say that. He's a great teacher. That's who I think Jesus is. Okay. There's a lot of great teachers out there. You know, there's a lot of great teachers today. If he's just some guy, I'm just some guy. But he lived 2,000 years ago. He didn't have an education or the internet, and I have both. So why should I listen to him instead of listening to myself? It makes way more sense to listen to myself and what I think is right and wrong, and what I think I should do, and how I think I should live, if I think Jesus is just some guy. But if he is Lord and Savior, if he is more than just some guy, then suddenly what he is talking about, this crazy, radical idea of forgiveness, of forgiving people who have sinned against me, of loving people, and this idea of it being an active love, like an action that I do, of even loving my enemies, I mean, to me, all that sounds crazy. 
But if Jesus is who he says he is, oh man, that changes things. You see, the life change that we see Peter writing about comes as a result of our faith and our trust in Jesus. See, I like to think of it this way. I think of my grandmother. Um, growing up as a kid, like I grew up kind of poor. We didn't have a lot. Um, but Christmas time, though, my grandmother would go all out. I mean, it would be nuts. We would always go. We'd wake up at our family, and my mom would do this too, and she would spend way too much money on Christmas presents. We, and it'd be great, but Christmas is a big deal. The family, we at our house, and then we would go to grandma's house, and at grandma's house, my cousins were there, aunts, uncles, they were all there too, and they had their own at their house, and now we all converged at grandma's house, and we go down to her basement, and it was just full, like there was no room for people, it was all presents, right, and you go down, and like, and you know, like I didn't realize until later, like I grew up, and I realized like, oh my goodness, my grandma must be spending a fortune every single year, like as a kid, you're just like, yeah! You know, but as an adult, you're like, man, she, she had to have been saving up the entire year. And of course, I find out she was. The entire year, she's shopping for deals and for, for any kind of way she can save and get gifts for the grandchildren because she knew that we didn't have a lot, right? So she would spend the entire year thinking of us and looking for gifts for us. And that made, like, things like that made my childhood amazing. And my grandmother was even more so than that. I mean, I think grandparents have such a totally underrated influence in, in the lives of children today. I, I, parents, obviously, but, but man, you see some of the biggest uh, uh, disciplers are grandparents today, and I, I just think it's totally undervalued. But I mean, my grandmother's like that. I mean, she, she, she was always there, for, always there for me. I could go to her for anything. Now, she still does this. She's still around. She's still spending way too much on Christmas. I, I tried to tell her to stop I said, Grandma, I'm, I'm an adult. I have kids. Like, you don't need to buy me presents. You know, buy one gift for the girls. That's all they need, you know. But no, I can't. She, she, this, that's how she expresses love, and she still does it. She called me the other day. It's like the middle of the day. She says, I'm going on a trip. I got to take the dog to the vet to put her in the kennel. This is, a dog. This is a, just a mean old ugly dog. I hate this dog. It's just, it is. So I'll just be honest. I was like, Grandma, you need to get a new dog. You know? She called me up. She's like, will you help me take the dog? I was like, I don't want to touch that dog. I don't want to go. That's what I'm thinking. I was like, I don't want to go near that dog. I don't want to be in the car with that dog. But you know what? My grandmother could ask me for anything, and I'll do it. You need me to, in the middle of the day? I got stuff to do today. I'm done. I'm coming to your house. I'll drive you to the thing. After we were done, that took like, you know, way too much time. And then she goes, oh, can you drive me out to Murfreesboro? I got to go to your cousin's house, drop off. That wasn't in my plans. That's the whole rest of my day. I'm getting nothing done today, right? But you know what? Yes, I will drive you wherever you need to go. I will do for you whatever you need to do for you. You know why? Because you have earned that. Because I know without a shadow of doubt, my grandmother loves me, and she has expressed that love so intensely in my life. And I'm, I'd be willing to, to give her anything. She asked for anything in a response to that. I kind of think of our love for God that same way. When we fully understand his grace, man, it's, I want to give something back to you. My cousins called me up. They wanted to get her a big expensive gift for Christmas. We're going to go, and they bought her like a refrigerator and stocked with all this stuff. And they asked us to put in too much money. And we're going through this life change. We're trying to sell our house in Cincinnati and move to Nashville. And we're starting a church. And we're living as missionaries now, right? Like I have no church paying my paychecks. Like we don't have any money. But you better believe we wrote that check for grandma's present because we were, whatever the amount was, we were going to do that. I think of our love, I think God, God's love for us in that way. 
It's a response to his love. He first loved us. And our actions and our living and our changing is a response to that. And it's because of his love that, yeah, man, I'm willing to obey. Jesus says this, yeah, because he saved me and he gives me eternity. And I know that I couldn't do that myself. Yeah, I'll obey, I'll listen. Absolutely. See, here's how I think that works. I think when we understand the depth of God's love for us, and you look at the specific things that Paul talks about here. He talks about malice. He talks about deceit. He talks about slander. When I really understand God's love for me, and I understand my own personal imperfections, and I understand my imperfections compared to the heroes of the faith, I am just a, a, a loser compared to some of the mighty people who have such incredible faith in Jesus. But God loves me and saves me when I really understand that. And I understand he has that very same love for everybody. How then can I have malice? If I really understand that God loves you as intensely as he loves I understand God's love for me. And I express, I can't help but get up here and sing songs about it, right? And I just feel something that sometimes brings me to tears. Like you ever put your hands up like, oh, the love of God is just how overwhelming and never ending that is. And that same love for you, how could I ever have malice against you? How could I do that? God loves you as intensely as he loves. And your imperfections, the people who are rude, how could I love people who are nice or rude? It doesn't matter. God loves you. I'm imperfect just like you are often. How could I ever slander someone like that? How could I ever have deceit? You see, as a response to my understanding of God's love, suddenly changes the way that I'm treating other people. Peter describes as stripping off, stripping off. Like, and I love the NIV translation of this because it says to, uh, 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 oh, where does it say? Uh, rid yourselves. Um, but it, it's this really intense word. It's, it's literally like you're, you're wearing this and it's weighing you and you just rip it off of your body. It's like, I, how could I treat anyone in a negative way. How could I do that? I still struggle with that, but it goes back to my understanding of who Jesus is. That word malice is this idea of, of long-standing anger. How could I have an unforgiving heart to someone when I know how God has forgiven me? How can I not forgive someone the same way when I know God is, offers them forgiveness also? If God can forgive them, why can't I? How can I have this malice? When you look at what it says to um, envy, if I understand the eternity that I have in Christ, the eternity, eternity that I have, this tiny little blip that I'm on this planet, how could I envy anything? What do you have that I would want, right? Like my, my wife and I, we're moving to like Nashville in the city. Like we are going to get a nice renovated shack for way too much money, right? Like we're going to have a house like probably as big as this little circle right here. Like that's going to be our house. But we haven't moved in yet. So we've been staying with her parents. They got this, this big house in Murfreesboro. Oh man, it's so big. It's like they just built it so nice. And I drove from there to here this morning and you pass by some of the most incredible homes and neighborhoods and all this stuff. But what do you have that I could possibly envy? What is that? You have a nice yard. You live in the governor's club. You have a big house. So what? 
That's nothing compared to the eternity that I have in Christ. When I fully understand that and I have an eternal perspective, then why would I have any envy in my heart? So what? I'm going to have a small house right now. So what? My circumstances aren't as nice as yours right now. That doesn't matter, man. The time that we're on this planet is so short. We have eternity with our creator, with Jesus. How could I have envy in my heart? When I understand that, the envy is stripped out of me. Man, I want you to understand that I'm saying this not as someone who has this perfected. Like, I don't mean to like project that up here. Like, I'm saying, oh, I, have, I don't struggle. With these. Of course I do. But I understand that it comes from my faith and my understanding of God's love for me through Jesus. I understand that it's a therefore. And I, you begin to crave. You begin to crave. Therefore, because of what God has done for us, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, therefore, we begin to crave the things of God. We begin to pursue the things of God. When that's shifting my thinking and shifting my values, I am now pursuing the things of God, and it causes me to mature. See, here's the thing about maturity, especially spiritual maturity. I don't think it happens accidentally. I don't. I think it comes from an intentional pursuit of the things of God, an intentional response, this craving as a response to the gospel. I don't think it happens accidentally. I think it's one of the saddest things, people who have been, who have been Christians for, for decades and are still spiritual infants, right? Have you ever thought that about yourself? Like, is that me? Like, sometimes I feel so immature. I hear, like, the experiences of other people's faith, and it just it convicts me sometimes, like, what am I doing to crave spiritual milk? What am I doing to pursue the things of God? I believe this. Why am I forgetting what I believe? Why am I forgetting the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for me? What am I doing to pursue that? Because that will cause me to mature. And it's not accidental. It has to be uh, intentional. I, I, don't, I think if we don't pursue the things of God, we don't mature in our faith. I, I just don't think that happens no matter how long we have that faith, if we don't let that compel us to pursue the things of God, we don't mature. And why would we not do that? God is calling us on this incredible journey. And maybe you're thinking, like, that's not me. That's not my life. That's not, that's, <laughs> that's not my life. That's not what I look like. That's not what my family looks like. On the way here, I was sinning the whole way here because my kids were driving me nuts, you know? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking that, like, but you got to remember, who is this guy writing this? Peter? This guy writing these things? He's telling you this is what it's like to understand the gospel and to live with that for decades. This is what it's like. And he's talking about this character. He's talking about stripping off these things and pursuing. Like, you have to understand, Peter was not a superstar, okay? Like, we forget this. Like, we put him up on this pedestal, like, oh, he is the great apostle Peter. No, this guy was a bit of a bozo in the New Testament, right? If you ever read the New Testament, he was always getting the answers wrong. He got it right a couple of times, but Jesus would ask these questions. He was always getting, he's like, Jesus was, was there. Jesus once said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Jesus said that to him. If Jesus said that to me, I'd be like, oh, oh my goodness. You know, like, it's like, what do you have to do to make Jesus say that to you, right? Like, Peter was the one who denied even knowing Jesus, okay? Like, when they came to arrest him, after years of learning about forgiveness and love and all these things that Jesus was teaching, they came to arrest Jesus in the garden. Peter pulls open his cloak, and he has a sword with him. Which, first of all, like, did you not hear anything that Jesus had to say? Pulls out the sword, tries to kill one of the guys coming to get Jesus, tries to cut his head off, right? Misses, 
because, you know, that's what he does, hits the guy's ear instead and cuts the guy's ear off. And I don't, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I like to imagine in my mind, like Jesus just stopped and was like, seriously, Peter, like, come on, picks the guy's ears back up, put it back on his head. That part actually is in the Bible. You know, that's this Peter. This is a Peter. This is like, we constantly see this, this image of him messing up and being so imperfect. But then he's writing this. Like, look, I'm not perfect, but I understand the gospel. And when we hold to that faith, therefore, we strip off anything that would hold us back. And we crave pure spiritual milk because we have tasted God's goodness. If you're not perfect, then you're just like me and you're just like Peter. But I would encourage you to put your focus on the faith that you have in Jesus. Sometimes I, I know, maybe you're sitting here and you're just like, man, I'm moving in step with Jesus. I'm doing it. Then I want to I challenge you. I want to challenge you to move. Go. Continue moving forward then. Continue growing and maturing. Absolutely. Think, and don't think in small terms. But maybe you're sitting here, it's like, you know, maybe I'm not moving in step with Jesus. I don't feel this being lived out in my life. It's not reflecting Jesus. And I know we can say, I just got to try harder. I just got to be better. And those are good things. But I think we really find it when we put our focus back on our faith in Jesus. Man, I think we, see, we, we get our lives back on track, not when we try harder to be good or to obey more, although that is good. I think we get our lives back on track when we refocus on prayer and on scripture and on worship and on the word of God, and we let the word of God speak into our lives, and we spend time in prayer and just pouring ourselves out to God and listening to him and his guidance, and we just, 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 uh, just outpour uh, uh, the response in worship. And I think that's what we need to focus on, because that's how, and these other things, man, they just have a way of lining up then. Suddenly it becomes a lot easier. I mean, that's just me personally. But I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge everyone here, and we're going to have a time of, of, of communion now, and this is our chance to respond. This is our chance to refocus. I love how Jesus didn't really do a lot of ceremonies. I know over the, the millennia, Christianity has, 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 has kind of built up a lot of ceremonies uh, over the centuries. Uh, but when you look at what Jesus did, one of the only ones he did was this time of communion. He's like, look, I want you to grab this bread. I want you to eat it. I want you to drink this, this wine, is what it was, and drink it. And do this in remembrance of me. Put your focus back on Jesus during this time. Take a moment to think about your life. Take a moment to just reflect on the gospel, to reflect on, on your trust in the gospel. And let this be a time where you can reconnect with the Holy Spirit. I'll also be in the back, and if, and if anyone wants to talk to me about maybe taking their first step in faith or baptism or something, you know, I'm I'm not the pastor here, but I can baptize someone if you want. <laughs> so we'll do that. So, um, so let's, let's go to a time in, in communion.